0: Hey friends, hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and plants and pets that are important to you. If, like myself, you are a progressive-minded person who believes in a woman's right to do as she sees fit with her own body, then I'm sure you're not at all happy about the news in America this week. That being that Roe v. Wade, the 1973 ruling that guaranteed federal constitutional protections of abortion rights, was overturned by the Supreme Court. Look, I understand this is a comedy and music podcast, but when something this monumental happens, I won't ignore it. I'm the father of a 20-year-old woman, and I hate to think that she's now living in a country where her grandmother will have had more rights in regard to reproductive choices for the majority of her peak reproductive years than she will have. That's sincerely screwed up. This is not progress. I heard someone refer to this time in America as the Great Regression. And while I don't wanna believe that, it seems more true every day. Look, I'm an optimistic person. I'm not giving up. I'll march in the streets. I'll give what I can to causes that push back against these regressive laws. And I'll continue to vote in every election. And I won't stop talking about these important issues. And if you too are a progressive-minded person living in America who wants our country to move forward instead of backward, I encourage you to do the same. Folks, this is the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. In addition to being the host of this podcast, I'm also a senior writer for the music blog Surviving the Golden Age, and I'm the author of nine self-published novels. There are no ads on People Are the Enemy, and there's no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love this show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality literature, uh, please consider buying all or all of my books. I'm sorry, any or all of my books, rather. All nine of my stories can be purchased in both paperback and ebook formats worldwide via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon but you like ebooks, you can find all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just type my last name, which is spelled M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find my books on Google Play. If you prefer paperbacks but you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my novels in paperback format at barnesandnoble.com. BN.com, if you're in a rush. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. (laughs) Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners! This is episode 234 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thanks for checking it out. You've tuned into a great one. If you're a fellow Gen Xer, and you're a fan of Kids in the Hall, there's a good chance you became aware of their brand of surreal sketch comedy around the same time I did, in the late 80s. Uh, Back in those days, I was just starting high school, and while most people my age knew Saturday Night Live... It took a more cynical, uh, comedically sophisticated, and, dare I say, liberal-minded individual to appreciate what this Canadian comedy troupe made up of Dave Foley, Bruce McCullough, Kevin McDonald, Mark McKinney, and Scott Thompson were doing. Now, my friends and I loved Kids in the Hall. And we got it! Now, even though we were still just teenagers, we understood satire and how Kids in the Hall were making fun of the hateful, ignorant, and intolerant. And to refer to Kids in the Hall as comedy... Punks is not hyperbole. What these heroes did and continue to do is help to push boundaries and redefine funny. When the kids played women characters, it's it's never over the top or patronizing. They, they 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 always feel genuine and not like a caricature. And they're still funny. When when any one of the guys would introduce themselves and do a short monologue, it was most often delivered sincerely and was still hilarious. And, of course, all the recurring characters and sketches were iconic. Last month, the Kids in the Hall returned for a brand new eight-episode season of their TV series, which is available right now to watch via Amazon Prime. Along with new episodes comes a documentary film titled Kids in the Hall, Comedy Punks. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with the Kids in the Hall social media manager, T.V. Phillips, and I'm so appreciated appreciative rather that TV would take time to talk with us so without any further ado let's speak with Tavy right now hang on one second Tavi. are you there
1: hi oh,
0: right on right on TV you're a New Yorker are you in New York City right now
1: I am I'm here in Brooklyn in my apartment
0: oh, is, it, is it super hot there today
1: yeah it's uh it's gross out there
0: oh dear yeah what are you doing to stay cool
1: uh, air conditioning
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. same here. it's yeah it's it's been in the 90s this weekend. I was cranking the AC here and uh, people are the enemy tower right up until the time I had to call you just so it wouldn't just so' it wouldn't, it wouldn't interrupt our conversation but yeah man it's it's hot. Yeah, summer is upon us. Tavi, when did you first become aware of kids in the hall?
1: Oh, that's a great question. uh let me see. I know I was crushing heads in fifth grade, but I did not know why uh i did not know who the kids in the hall were but i do remember crushing heads having seen it somewhere on tv my parents had cable so i assume i was first exposed to them without really absorbing anything in the late 80s but it was around 94 i think um just as they were ending their sort of uh run um and i was staying up all night i was in uh like 10th grade maybe at that time, and uh, having some trouble, troubled high school experiences, and just staying up all night, and not going to school, and uh, they were on CBS after, I think after Letterman.
0: Yes, uh, you're right, yeah, they, they did have, yeah, the show got picked up, and I think it was simultaneously on HBO, well, not simultaneously, literally, but yeah, it was airing on HBO uh, still, while it was, uh, like the last season, I think, was airing on, uh, after Letterman, yeah. Yeah, Do you yeah, re- I think- do you remember the very first Kids in the Hall sketch you saw?
1: I remember the first one that made an impression on me. Yeah. Um, Dave's I Know, the Bruce McCullough song. Oh,
0: right on. Yeah, that's We're a classic. was
1: blown away. That was the funniest concept. I, you know, the song was so catchy. It was so, it looked like a music video, but it was talking about this subject that was not something it would have occurred to me. I thought it was so funny, and I was like, who is this? And then I just started. They were also on Comedy Central at that point, I think. I was definitely watching a lot of Comedy Central. So between the CBS and I was seeing it on Comedy Central a lot, I just sort of fell right into it and started. You know, those days when uh, you could get, like, VHS tapes at the hardware store or whatever. Um, and I just started taping them. I just wanted to have access to them at all times. So I, I think I taped the whole run eventually in, out of order from, like, Comedy Central
0: reruns. Right on. Yeah, Dave's I Know seems to be like a a linchpin for a lot of folks and a way to communicate kids in the hall fandom you know yeah. if you say D- daves i know people will be like oh yeah that seems to be the one that i think probably first caught on and folks could obviously easily repeat it and uh and appreciate yeah. it yeah
1: and then it also just communicates something about their sensibility
0: yeah right? how 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 long have you been the kids in the hall social media manager so
1: that's a that, yeah it's kind of funny to think about um so obviously i was a fan and i was on the internet sort of <laughs> when it at the same time i was discovering the kids in the hall i was discovering the internet so i became like really um vocal on their news group on usenet you know alt.tv kids in the hall kids dash in dash hall rather um so i was just a fan but i became a very like sort of vocal prominent sort of name of a fan um so around 99 right before they were about to do their sort of big tour in 2000 which felt like a reunion tour it wasn't really a reunion but they sort of built it as a reunion tour um and their their publicist at the time woman named nina who lived in queens and i lived on Roosevelt island which is right next to queens in, in new york city um she reached out to me by email And she wanted to, you know, sort of ask me some questions about the the fan base. And she had some, like, tapes, some HBO Masters that she was sitting on that she thought I would like, you know, more than taking up space in her house. So she gave me all the HBO Masters. And it was just this cool friend that I made. Um, And she was their publicist for the tour. So she started bringing me along and letting me sort of help out. And this is all pre-social media, obviously. But it was, like, that weird period, like, right before Friendster kind of a thing. So I I became kind of a fixture when they would tour, you know, um, And I kind of knew them separately from meeting them. I met Dave when I was 16 in a really embarrassing way. Do not ask me <laughs> about that. If you want to find out about that, I have a website and if you know how to poke around well, you'll find the story on there. Um, but uh, by the time they toured again in 2000, not their 2002 tour, but I'd say their 2008 tour. Social media was really becoming a thing, so I had sort of been given permission to officially set up the MySpace page for the tour. Um, and so I guess that sort of went across into official, like, ness. Very uh, cool. Setting up, yeah, their presences as the other social media platforms arose, and it was always assumed. And like, I was sort of honored to be given this, you know, sort of. A, you know, permission to speak for them. Um, I don't try to speak in their voices too much, but, you know, to represent them online because they didn't have a unified troop presence and they just needed to. And at this point, I was just their friend that they've known since the late 90s. So they're like, Tavy, Tavy's our social media person. And eventually start, you know, throwing some money at me for it. It It's always appreciated, although wasn't really necessary because I was going to do it anyway. So yeah, probably, I mean, if you want to think about it, going all the way back it's more than 25 years but I guess officially I'd say 2008 is when social media became a real thing
0: very cool what a great gig how many yeah. times have you seen kids in the hall live when they've, they've toured as a troop
1: oh wow I know I saw them 24 times <gasps> in the year 2000
0: Just oh the my year 2000. goodness 24 <laughs> times was was there one live show that that stands out as more memorable than the others
1: Oh boy, yes, yes, because they flew me out for the last show, which nobody had ever flown me out anywhere before, but the last show of that tour was in uh, Detroit, I think, and uh, the, th- the theater, for some reason, had a bar right in the middle of it, of the perform, like the actual theater, and so there were a lot of super drunk people in the audience, and I remember um, at one point, they started heckling so loudly that three of the guys started to go off like leave the stage as if to go after these guys and we thought there was going to be an actual brawl
0: holy moly
1: i want to say it was scott and dave for sure and probably bruce but i
0: can't can't imagine why a fan would heckle heckle the kids if you know people that they came to see that's so it seems so counterproductive
1: i feel like it had to have been the alcohol
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) my goodness
1: Funny, I know I'm biased, but I can't. I don't. I don't think they did anything that like offended these people so much as these guys wanted to be in a fight, and they were in a real alcohol-friendly place, and fists were almost gonna fly. I mean, we all. (laughs) It was gonna happen. So that (laughs) one sticks out to me the most. Although I will say, I saw Dave during the Chicken Lady sketch. He did. He started doing this move where he would slide across the prop table to get to the chair on the other side of the table, and. Two times, separate occasions, he broke
0: the table. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> it went crashing. One of them happened... Uh, oh, yeah. I can't even remember where. I, it's somewhere on the East Coast.
0: <laughs> wow. Just, yeah, speaking, of, speaking of <laughs> biased TV, I'd never ask you to name one member of Kids in the Hall as being your favorite.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Yes. <laughs> but but can, can you name a favorite sketch from the, the five original seasons? Do you, do you have... A favorite, or was that? Was that? Is that too biased? Also,
1: that one's almost too biased. And I have okay. a lot. I have a lot. It's interesting to me. It's almost like a test of my mood at the moment to see which one bubbles up. <laughs> like I'm thinking of um, this really filmic sketch from the fifth season called uh, "Date with Destiny," I think, where Dave Foley is a man um, who who's he's got he's got to go to Morocco and he's got a date with destiny, and he keeps losing his. <laughs> his way, but it's like a gorgeous, at one point he's walking out of the ocean as if he'd walked to Morocco and it's just strange, beautifully filmed skip, like just absurd, a sketch of, of Dave Foley, like losing track of his mission.
0: <laughs> that's cute. Very cool. That, what, that, it,
1: it, that like, pops up sometimes. Maybe that's such a, uh, like a childish Dave bias because I love them all equally. Of course.
0: Of course. Of course. <laughs> is it, is it too biased to ask if you have a favorite recurring character?
1: Ooh, yeah, that's too biased. Sorry. Okay,
0: all right. <laughs> <laughs> I won't so push they, it.
1: it. It crossed my mind. I said no. That that will reveal too much if I if I.
0: Okay, say it. fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, three years ago, Tavy, I read Paul Meyer's book, "Kids in the Hall: One Dumb Guy," and, and you were acknowledged as one of the sources. I remember reading the uh, acknowledgements, and I said, hey, "That's Tavy. I know Tavy." <laughs> Do you recall the the specific input you provided uh, for that book?
1: Oh yeah. Um. Well, I before he before he even was sort of. Uh, signed on to be the guy he kind of came to me which I thought was really nice and talked to me about the idea of doing a book and sort of not pitched it to me but you know as a a fellow fan sort of on that level and I I knew immediately that he had to be the one (laughs) to do it and I started talking him up (laughs) to the guy who's going I think it should be Paul Myers so I'm not taking credit for him having been the official guy but I like to hope that my uh approval (laughs) resonated with somebody, but, um, I sent him, I had a lot of like, almost like a huge scrapbook full of, um, articles from like the nineties, even the eighties. I think some friends and I at one point had toured the idea of writing a book ourselves. And, uh, my friend Adrian and my friend Nessa were both really, um, sort of accomplished, uh, writers and like academic in an academic sense. And they had started, um, just, generating all these articles and stuff like or gathering them rather from uh like various archives and had sent me a bunch of copies so I had this big sort of archive of of articles and I mailed them all to him (laughs) he uh he eventually like sent me the whole thing back like two years later it's just still sitting sitting in the envelope but I felt like um I held on to that for so long and I don't know why but it finally had found its purpose like that's why I was Cutting out these magazine articles and pictures and things, they, there was some reason behind my fanish, you know, collecting uh, impulse. So it was really cool to be able to to help with that, and then just sort of random questions he would email me sometimes, and I'd help him look stuff up, especially if it had to do with like the fandom, you know, piece and the Usenet stuff, and I would sort of help research. And at one point, I actually transcribed. Uh, an interview that he did with Bruce at uh, like some kind of lit fest in San Francisco because I type really fast and he was looking for help,
0: <laughs> so right
1: I said, "I'll, I'll So just sort of any way I could help. I'm just so thrilled to be able to contribute. Um, I was really proud to.
0: Yeah, you should be. That that and you know, obviously, Paul Myers should be proud of that book. That's it's, uh, it's, it's a great book.
1: It's an amazing book. He is such a mensch. He is such a fan. And the first time I met him in person, we got to sort of fan out with each other. And I think that's something that other people (laughs) like about me, too. Even when I'm in the more, like, official capacity and I'm meeting people that they work with and stuff, sometimes they get me in a corner and we just sort of fan out, and I'm sort of this safe person to
0: get really nerdy with. That's awesome. That's so cool. Were were you featured at all in the, the new Kids in the Hall documentary, Comedy Punks?
1: I was, I was really, really scared to, but uh, Mark's brother, Nick, called me right before the pandemic, actually, and said he was talking about, he was thinking about putting this together and finding a director, and did I want to be involved, and he didn't say what involved meant, so I said, sure, um, and then during the t- pandemic, they picked it up again, and all of a sudden, it was like, had to be done really fast and urgently, because they were on a timeline, um, and they, some he and the director, Reg Harkima, got me on Zoom and talked to me for a bit, and I kept going, I don't need to be on camera, do I? <laughs> And they're like, well, yes, yeah, you do. You really do. You would be a get, you know, they really flattered me like I'm somebody important or something. So they talked me into it. And I, I did end up in the documentary, in the final cut of the documentary. Um, I can't quite look at it with my eyes, but I can hear when my voice comes on the screen and shut my eyes in time. And I think I sound okay. Um, so I am really proud that I got to be a part of that. Even if it's hard for me to look at myself on, on camera, I'm really happy that I got to represent this fandom in some way, which has been incredibly important to my personal life.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely. Been... That's great. You're part of history. Part of the that yeah. history. That's fantastic. I mean, what do somehow. Very, very cool. Sunscreen. <laughs> T.B., in, in your years of being a Kids in the Hall fan, being the Troops' quote-unquote web mistress, uh, seeing them live and corresponding with other fans... Have there been any celebrity Kids in the Hall fans you were surprised to learn were aficionados of the troupe?
1: Oh, that's interesting. I've definitely seen a lot of people sort of backstage that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. I remember um, at the after party for one of the 2000 tour shows, Nathan Lane just sort of standing by himself. Oh,
0: that's an interesting one. Yeah.
1: And then the expected people. There are a lot of people I wasn't surprised to see. Like, there's always a Conan or an Andy or like Will Ferrell was always around and that kind of thing. That you would. You Those would expect. folks make
0: sense. Yeah, it's uh, Nathan Lane's interesting, and I suppose the yeah. only the only way I can kind of somewhat uh, equate him or or put him um, in my mind, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, in parallel with Kids in the Hall I suppose is the Mike Myers connection because he was in he was in that Austin Powers movie and i know Mike Myers is like a crazy huge
1: yeah Kids the Mike, Hall Mike fan. is the number 1 Kids in the Hall celebrity fan in my mind
0: yeah uh, so i can yeah, imagine I them of, probably sorry tavi go ahead please
1: i was just saying i didn't think of that for for Nathan Lane that connection that's a good one
0: yeah that's that's the only way i can sort of put him in that in that uh, that venn diagram of sorts i guess my mental venn <laughs> he's, diagram of fandom he's but very, very sort cool. of
1: old-fashioned um broadway guy yeah
0: that's kind of how i more associate him but i do i, I always remember that scene with him and and uh, beyonce in uh, that austin powers movie and i am like right. well, <laughs> obviously you know he knows he knows mike myers and that's probably a connection there so very very cool he has,
1: he has good comedy taste
0: Absolutely, absolutely. As do you, my darling, my As excellent, excellent. Did you want to? Did you want to play a quick game, Tavi? I put together a little game where it's guess the kid.
1: I love it. let it's okay. try
0: it. it it's, a very, yeah, it's a it's it's. I made it very easy. Now I say very easy, and that if you get them all wrong, I'm going to feel like a jerk. So. I,
1: well, no, it'll be
0: hilarious. Right. <laughs> can, Are me. you ready? Let's do it. Okay, it's again it's the five members of Kids in the Hall are the answers to the question. So Okay. Okay. In addition to today being this Kids in the Hall member's birthday, this Canadian actor and comedian is the son of a diplomat and an architectural writer.
1: That is Mark McKinney. Ding ding.
0: Correct. Dave? Correct. It's Excellent. Birthday. Okay. <laughs> Happy <laughs> birthday, Mark but... McKinney. Right. Uh, this Kids in the Hall member was in a queer core punk band called Mouth Congress with Kids in the Hall writer and towel wearer Paul Bellini.
1: That's Scott Thompson. Ding, ding. All
0: right. She's two for two. <laughs> All right. Here we go. In the 2002 Disney animated film Lilo and Stitch, this Kids in the Hall member provided the voice of Agent Wendy Pleakley.
1: Kevin McDonald. There
0: we are. Three for three. Okay, there's only two kids left and two more questions. (laughs) Between the years of 1995 and 1999, this Kids in the Hall member portrayed Dave Nelson on the NBC American TV sitcom News Radio. Dave Foley. All right, very good. And the last one is obvious, but we'll we'll say it anyway. In addition to directing the movies Dog Park, Stealing Harvard, and Superstar, this Kids in the Hall member released two albums of his comedic music, Shame-Based Man, and Drunk Baby Project. That's Bruce McCullough. Right on. TV, this has been so much fun. Thank you so uh, much for talking with me. I really appreciate it.
1: This is great. I'm just really, really honored and flattered to have a chance to talk about myself and kids in the hall with you and, and be on your podcast.
0: Oh well You're thanks super for doing Positive,
1: it. like excellent, you know good vibes podcast i love that we need more of that in the world so thank
0: you for that oh right on that's sweet of you to say and i i sincerely sincerely appreciate your time and i know listeners of this podcast are comedy fans and music fans and uh, and i'm sure that many of them are fans of yourself so this is very very special thank you so so much for doing the show sure, thank you this episode we've got one more segment for you and that's uh that's rachel from des moines with the char chat take it away rachel
2: Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. I hope everyone enjoyed that interview with Tavy, because coming up in the Chart Picks, we've got a double dip from another Brooklyn great. Thanks to everyone who listened last week, especially Jeffrey from VJ Big Suit, who suggested another bourgeois tag song for me uh, called I Don't Mind It All. He also tracked down and played Mutual Surrender on his show. Always a good time over on the Twitch channel. Check it out. Uh, For our 70s chart this week, we're going to June 19th of 1976. And just from listening to the AT40 itself, I could tell this was going to be a very solid one. Starting off at number 100, uh, we have Johnny Cash with his song One Piece at a Time. Now, this is down from a peak of number 29. The th- this song is about a, kind of tells a tale. It's not a novelty song, but it definitely has sort of that humor that you hear in country songs sometimes, of a man working uh, in the auto industry and he has this grand plan that he's going to steal a Cadillac one piece at a time. And it, this one's definitely worth, definitely worth listening to. I had first heard about it in an Aquid Strip, um, and then the promoters from the label actually got a man from who owned an Alv- auto salvage yard in Nashville to assemble and build this Cadillac based on the parts that uh, Johnny Cash mentions in, this, in the lyrics. At number 76, we have guitar legend George Benson with the song This Masquerade, and this was his first U.S. Hot 100 appearance. I learned that the original was by Leon Russell, and it's been covered by many other acts. I really like this one. It just seems like it would be really uh, beautiful to slow dance with your love or just have on during like a romantic, you know, the cliche romantic candlelit dinner. I just think it's really beautiful, and I, I can't compare it to any of the other versions I've only heard his. At number 67, we have the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, with Something He Can Feel. And this song was written by Curtis Mayfield, and it appears in the movie Sparkle. People may remember from the 90s, And Vogue had their own version, uh, giving him something he can feel, and I feel like the lyrics were slightly different. Uh, and I did learn that both Aretha and, and Vogue's version were number one hits on the R&B chart. And this version of Aretha's was number 28 on the Hot 100. At number 58, we have Foghat with Fool for the City. And this will go on to hit number 45. And this is on the same album as Slow Ride. It was kind of their follow-up single after that one. Um, Didn't do quite as well. Uh, Slow Ride was a number 20 hit. But I think if you like that one, definitely check out Fool for the City. It has uh, kind of a cool breakdown or a bridge in part of it. At number 56, we have Lou Rawls with his biggest pop hit, hit called You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine. This would actually go on to be a number two hit here in the States. The song was written by the Philly songwriting power duo of Gamble and Huff. But actually, the first time I'd ever heard of Lou Rawls was he sang the intros for some of the Garfield specials back in the 80s. And I particularly liked his uh, version, his song for the Hawaii Garfield in Paradise uh, Hawaii special. At number 55 uh, is Neil Diamond with his song, If You Know What I Mean, and this was off of his album Beautiful Noise, which was produced by Robbie Robertson uh, from The Band, and the song was written by Neil. I believe he mostly sang songs that he wrote. This one, I did not come to know about this until a few years ago, but I really like it. It's very emotional, has a lot of power uh, in the music and in his vocal performance. At number 43 is Natalie Cole with her song, Sophisticated Lady, in parentheses. She's a different lady, and I really like the funky style on this one and her delivery and the vocals again, and it kind of sounds a little bit like maybe the Eagles ripped her off with Life in the Fast Lane. Have a listen to the verses and see what you think about that one. This one made it to number 25 for Natalie. At number 18 is Moonlight Feels Right by the group Starbuck. And this one is very memorable for having a marimba solo in the middle of it. So as a mallet player myself, I had to highlight this one. The lyrics are a little bit pervy, uh, maybe, if you have a dirty thought like I do sometimes. And I first heard of this one on 70 Saturday Night back on on Star 102.5 here in Des Moines. There's a great video of the band performing this song on Midnight Special, so you can watch the mallet player playing that marimba solo, and it's really impressive and this will go on to be a number three hit. And our last song from the 70s this week are the Manhattans, but their song Kiss and Say Goodbye, and I learned that this was written by the bass singer in the band, and he also does the spoken word intro to the song, and this would go on to be a number one hit for the Manhattans. Now turning to the 80s, we're going to 1981, and this chart is extremely yachty. I looked up the songs on the uh, yacht or nyat website and i could see that there were 17 songs on the chart out of 100 had been rated on the site and 12 of those were at 50 or above so they're earning them the designation of yacht uh, and then there was actually a couple that were right around you know 49 49.5 which is technically nyat but you know on the high side for the chart picks themselves uh, starting off we have phoebe snow with her song Mercy, 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 and this is at number 99, and it would make it to number 52, and this is off of her album Rock Away, and based on the songs I've heard off of it, it seems like she was kind of consciously going for a little harder rock sound. Phoebe Snow is, I think, is best known for her song Poetry Man, which is, you know, a very gentle and sweet song, and these ones, like, you know, just a little more of an edge to them, but I, I think I've put her song Games on the chart picks before. So I think this is probably my favorite era for her. She's like a fascinating person. I think you should definitely read up on Phoebe Snow. And she has a lot of collaborations in her career. At number 84, we have Commodores with Lady, You Bring Me Up. This will go on to hit number eight. And this one is worth checking out, especially for the video. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, the guys in the Commodores and they're hanging out in the park. And then some women show up and they're going to play soccer. So the video is them uh, all playing soccer together. And it's one of the last songs that they had with Lionel Richie still in the band before he went solo. At number 70 is My Guys in Rush with Tom Sawyer. And this is off of the Movie Pictures album. And it hit number 44. Uh, Did better in Canada, as you would imagine, but also the UK, cracked the top 40 over there. And this song was notable for being co-written with with Pai Dubois, who is a Canadian poet. One of Rush's signature songs and I have to say as many times as I've heard it I really can never get sick of it and even some other songs that are from my favorite bands that are some of their best known ones you can get a little burnt out on but not from not Tom Sawyer for me at number 56 is uh, Jim Steinman with the song rock and roll dreams come through and I had to mention this one uh, for the best show connection with the rock and roll dreams will come come through uh the jim simon version it sounds nothing like that uh bryce version on the or the gas station dogs from the best show but this was a uh, number 32 hit but jim i learned did not actually sing on the song It's his uncredited vocals by rory dodd and then meatloaf did you, you probably know if you know the name jim simon you know that it's from him uh writing a lot of songs from meatloaf and meatloaf did have his own version of this song in 94 At number 47, uh, by special request of my friend John, a.k.a. Graham Friday, is Double Dutch Bus by Frankie Smith, and this song is just a lot of fun. I think it would be perfect for roller skating or dancing, and it was a number 30 hit in the States, and if you haven't heard it, but if it sounds a little bit familiar, it's because Missy Elliott sampled it for her song Gossip Folks, and I think a fun fact about this song is that uh, Frankie Smith had applied to be a SEPTA bus driver in Philadelphia, but Uh, He was not hired, but I think maybe he got the last laugh with this song. At number 44, we have the Pointer Sisters with their song Slow Hand. And this song would go on to be a number two hit. To me, I thought it kind of reminded me of Fire or it's in the mode of Fire. Uh, But oddly enough, I read that when the songwriters that wrote it, they did not have the Pointer Sisters in mind. But then it ended up being a perfect fit, obviously, because this is a really great song. At number 26 is the Moody Blues with their song Gemini Dream, and this would go on to hit number 12, and to me it sounds a little bit like ZZ Top, just in general, like the 80s ZZ Top, but people have called out that it sounds particularly like Sharp Dressed Man, or maybe I should say that ZZ Top's Sharp Dressed Man sounds like the Moody Blues Gemini Dream, and of note, uh, Patrick Mraz, uh, a one-time Yes keyboardist, was in the Moody Blues at the time of recording this song. At number 19, we have Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers with their song, The Waiting, and that would be the peak for this song. And I was almost felt surprised to see this on the 81 chart because that a lot of their stuff just seems so timeless for me, like I can't really pin it down to a particular era. And finally, at number 8, we have Neil Diamond with America from The Jazz Singer, and this also was at its peak of number 8. This song is known for having an interpolation of my country, Tis of Thee, that Neil sort of recites uh, in, in the middle of the song. I first heard of this on an episode of Reading Rainbow that was about um, Ellis Island and immigration into the United States. And I think it'll be a good one to listen to um, on the 4th of July coming up. Well, that's all for me, uh, folks. Thanks so much. And back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Excellent, excellent
0: stuff. I'd had no idea Rachel was a mallet player. I assume that means she can play uh, the glockenspiel, uh, the timpani, oh, jeez, the xylophone? You know, any kind of uh, piano, I, I assume, you know, any any kind of percussive instrument. Very, very cool. Uh, great, great picks there, Rachel. Thank you so, so much for that segment. That was really, really wonderful. Uh, th- folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode. This has been episode 234 of the People Are The Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, TV Phillips. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.